Morning, everybody. Morning. And uh, if you're listening to the announcements, you should know what week we're up to. We are up to week six. <laughs> we're up to week six for uh, Transformed. And uh, <clears throat> tell you what, uh, the first service, uh, we had a heap of visitors for Darcy's uh, dedication. And uh, it was a beautiful time, and uh, all the visitors um, enjoyed the service. And uh, I felt like I needed to get through the material really quickly. So I'm hoping that this time I can get through it really, really quickly as well, because maybe me speaking a bit faster is probably a little bit better. What do you reckon? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> we can put some Southern Draw in there if you like. So if you remember, we are doing. Uh, Seven weeks of transformation, or 50 days, and uh, our, our key verse is Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of our mind. Awesome. So you've been doing your, your readings, and you've been doing all sorts of things, which is great. But we've been looking at, uh, already, we've looked at five topics. Can you give me those five topics? Anyone? Spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, and relational. I asked this question earlier, and I'm going to ask this service the same. Who had some struggles in their relational health over the past week? You've had a little bit of difficulties with people in your family or people in your workplace. Uh, you've had the challenges of dealing with, with other people. Well, that's a, probably a good sign. Is that a good sign? Or have you felt that it's a little bit heavy and a little bit hard because you've got to deal with problems with people? Well, as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So it's a good thing sometimes to have some relational problems because it means you can deal with the issues of the heart. Amen? And if we're going to focus on these things, then surely we're going to have to uh, be trialed and tested in these areas. I'm hoping that this is not one. I'm hoping today, as we look at our topic today, I'm hoping it's one that we can... See breakthrough in us instantly, and that all of us can push into the area that we're looking at today. Our area today is transformation in our pocket money, <laughs> financial health. I love it. Ruth, if you can throw that up, that'll be fantastic. The title of the message is this, Transforming How I See and How I Use Money. How I See and How I Use Money. Transforming How I See and How I Use Money. It might surprise you. <clears throat> but uh, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Does that surprise you? No. No? Okay. Someone reads his Bible. That's good. Half of all Jesus' parables uh, were around material possessions. Isn't that interesting? Half of what he spoke about from a parable position was about material possessions. And one out of six verses in the first three Gospels is about money and money management. That's a huge amount of discussion when you think that that was being recorded for us for uh, us to read today. Why is this the case? Because money has tremendous power or tremendous influence in our lives. The right money can dominate our lives in either a good or bad way. Okay, so because it's got so much power and so much uh, influence and, and, and all that kind of things that, that Jesus had to talk about a lot. And uh, if you don't manage your money well, 
is a statement to remember. If you don't manage your money well, then your money will manage you. Yeah. So today uh, we're going to look at, as an introduction, a, a, ver a parable that Jesus gave us. And it's, a, it's quite a misunderstood story or a misunderstood parable that Jesus talks about. It appears in this parable that Jesus is approving dishonesty. He's approving of dishonesty. But he isn't. He's just using a clever crook as an example. Okay? So it's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. And uh, we will try it and see how we go. Luke chapter 16, 1 to 8. Let me read it to you. You'll have it in your handout so you can follow along. Jesus said, <clears throat> it's the parable of the dishonest or the shrewd manager. So Jesus said, there once was a rich man who enlisted a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So the owner called him in and said, you must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. The manager thought, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job and I'm not strong enough to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. We're all a little bit like that, aren't we? A little bit too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. So after that, oh, so that after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everybody who had who was in debt to his master. He asked the first man, "How much do you owe my master?" Eight hundred gallons of olive oil. He replied, "That's a lot of olive oil." 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager said, okay, here's what I want to do for you. Here I come, I want to do this for you. Tear up that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. It's like a, a bill, just hard like that, just instantly. Yeah, if you're anything like me, your power bill is probably up pretty high, above upwards of $1,000, actually, as was until we put solar on. But, uh, you, it would be nice to be able to just walk in and pay that bill and you go to tap your credit card and only take 600 instead of 1200 Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. So, so this shrewd manager, he's, he halves the bill. Tear up that bill and I'll write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. And you know what? This is only going to be between you and I. I won't tell the manager, that I did, the owner, that I did this. Next time, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe? And the guy said, a, a thousand bushels of wheat. The manager said, okay, change your bill to say you only owe 800. So he wipes 20% off, just like that. <clears throat> and you know he's doing this under the table, obviously, without permission. Is that right? He still praised his... Uh, this is now when... The master or the owner heard what the dishonest manager had done. He still praised his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. Now that is a strange story, isn't it? In the next several verses, Jesus gives a little bit into the meaning of it. So let me read to you verse 9 and onwards. It says... Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. What? Am I supposed to buy friends? 
Now it's getting into weirder. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here, Jesus says, use something that is physical, your wealth, and he switches to a spiritual principle. He starts talking about heaven. Whoever can be trusted with very little, so talking about physical again, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So we're not talking here, he's, he's doing the switch game again. Physical and spiritual, okay? So if you, this is this, uh, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, so if you're not a good money manager, if you're not taking care of money, the money that I've given to you, if you've been untrustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who is going to trust you with true riches? The spiritual riches. The real riches of life. And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who's going to give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. Finishes off by saying, you cannot serve God and money. It's an interesting parable, and then Jesus' take on the story that he gave. This may be most shocking to you, and it must might be frustrating and misunderstood story that Jesus ever told. Because surely he's praising the crook, the dishonest one. Surely when we read it, we're like, how can you... Praise this guy when he's dealt irreverently with his own belongings. But that's not what Jesus is doing, is it? <clears throat> it's important to note, Jesus did not praise the man's dishonesty. He's praising something very different. He's praising his shrewdness. And we'll get back to that one in a moment. The second thing is you can learn from anybody if you know the right questions. You, still, uh, you can still learn and benefit from others without approving of everything they do. And Jesus is teaching us this lesson because I think the church is guilty of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, is the old saying, isn't it? Someone starts talking about one area of doctrine and we're like, well, you're completely wiped and we throw out and burn all of their books. It's a heretic. But it might be just one area that they're developing. And we like, we wipe them out, we wipe them off, and we say, well, we're not going to trust anything this person said. But they could have had 10 years of really strong teaching, biblical teaching, that has set up and blessed so many people in their Christian walks. So we've got to use wisdom, and I suppose this word shrewdness, to be able to understand things that people are doing. Like, let's do it in a practical sense for us. If I had a brain tumour, And there was only one neurosurgeon that could operate on me. This is all about learning to ask the right questions. Right? There's only one neurosurgeon that could operate on me, then surely I'm going to go and see this neurosurgeon, aren't I? My first question isn't going to be to this, new, this neurosurgeon, 
did you do your daily devotion today? That would be a wrong question, wouldn't it? I'm not there to judge the guy's life. I'm there to judge whether he can actually do something about my physical problem. Whether he does his daily devotions is something between him and God, not something between him and I. I'm not going to sit there and say, did you read your Bible today? Or are you a Christian? I'm not going to judge his skill based upon his faith. And we often do that, don't we? We wipe people off because they don't line up sometimes with the things that we're doing. Jesus didn't wipe the shrewd manager off. He learned the lesson, or he's teaching the lessons for us to grab. What without commending him for his wickedness. Do you understand? So today's people think that if I disagree with you on something, then I can't learn from you. That's not true. You can learn from you. Alright? So it's nonsense to say that you have to agree with everybody in order to learn from you. Because yeah? I don't agree with the story of Jesus. <laughs> I don't think this guy's a good guy. And obviously Jesus doesn't either. But he commends him and praises him for shrewdness. So this guy is dishonest. But at the same time, he is shrewd. So the two reasons that Jesus told this story. The first one, his audience was the Pharisees. We've got to understand the audience, don't we? The audience were the religious leaders of the time. They were the arrogant. They were not humble in any way. They were self-righteous judgmental, and often very hypocritical. Weren't they? they? Yep, they were definitely dishonest at times. Jesus loved to shock them, though, didn't he? And this is a story to shock them. To shock the audience. What's Jesus even talking about so that you can walk away with it and grapple with it? Jesus knew the Pharisees loved money. That's why he tells this shocking story and makes the crook a hero. <coughs> Luke 16, 14 to 15 says, The Pharisees dearly loved money. So when they heard what Jesus said, they made fun of him. But Jesus told them, You're always making yourselves look good, but God sees what is in your heart. The things that most people think are important are worthless as far as God is concerned. That last phrase is what stands out for me. It's that very last phrase that we're going to look at. The things that most people think matter, God says they don't matter at all. So what is it that most people think matter? Most people. Maybe not you. Maybe not me. But most people would think these are the things that matter. Possessions. Pleasure. Power. Prestige. Popularity. Sex. Status. Your salary, money, lust, power, those are the sorts of things. And God says those things don't really matter. Those aren't the important elements or the important pursuits of life. So how most people see and use money are the exact opposite to the way God wants us to see and use money. Does that make sense? In, um, in this series on transformation, we've been talking about this whole verse. This whole verse of being transformed by the what renewing of the mind. To not be conformed to the ways of the world. To not be uh, following the ways that the world would do. 
But here we see we've got this great contrast. Don't be conformed after wealth. Don't be conformed after the pursuit of power, the pursuit of notoriety. Don't be chasing after those things. But be transformed by renewing the way you think about money. Amen? Okay, the second reason, the first one was his audience. The second one was many believers are poor money managers. I'm not saying you're a poor money manager, but the reality is many people struggle with managing finances. And, uh, and, and, and actually the Bible was really clear on this. Jesus said, for wealthy people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. Do you belong to the light? Then, then Jesus is actually saying that there are people in the world that handle money better than you. So there's things and lessons that we can learn from the Bible that help us become shrewd managers of our money so they can be used for what God intends it to be used instead of the way we intend to use it. So, um, and, and for example, let's just, without embarrassing anybody, let me just say these are some things that maybe some of us struggle with. You have no emergency savings saved up for a rainy day. Uh, you may have uh, little to no retirement saved up. You're living from hand to mouth. That means as it comes in, you eat of it. You've got no leftover. You know. um, in fact, you're living beyond your means. Uh, it's not buy it as soon as I get the money. It's buy it before I get the money. And for some of us, we're deeply in debt to the point where we can't manage our way out of it. A fair assessment. Like even today, like I'm sure some of you would remember when the credit card came in, and how that might have transformed the way that you thought about buying things. And uh, the amount of credit card debt is huge within our nation, isn't it? But now they've added something that's even worse. It's called afterpay. Like, and I had a bit of a joke, and and. Uh, and I accidentally looked at the wrong person when I was talking about this. I had to really embarrass her when I said it. Not that she was using Afterpay, but I used an example of, we'll go and we build up our collection of shoes and we'll use Afterpay to do it. So we've got all these beautiful shoes, but we've got all this debt that just keeps coming out of our bank account for a long time. We're like, where's our money going? We don't even see where it's gone. Does that make sense? So, um, not to pick on you if you've got good shoes. I like good shoes as well. When one of the guys, one of our ushers came in with maroon shoes on the day, we commented on it and said, you probably need a blue pair to contrast your red shirt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to have a bit of fun with it. But, but there's a reality in all of that. <clears throat> Isn't there? So this message today is not a message about giving. It's not a message about tithing. Most of the time when the church talks about money, we're talking about, uh, we often come from this place that you've got to give to the church, you've got to give to the church, you've got to keep tithing, you've got to keep giving. Got but this is not about that. Even though you'll have an opportunity to give, this is not about that. This is about positioning your management of your earthly wealth so that you can benefit your kingdom destination. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so if you manage your money well, then you'll see um, you'll see that you'll have breakthrough in your life because money is one of the greatest sources of worry and concern that many of us have. In fact, it's actually the biggest cause of divorce in the world. 
Money matters, money problems. And that's a little bit scary, that money would come in even between that sacred union of a man and a woman. You know, it, it, I said it like this before. We, we say a vow, till death do us part, but in fact, the reality is, until death do us part. It's the challenge of managing our finances as well. Some of our biggest problems in, in our marriage, early on, not now, but some of our biggest problems were always around finances because we felt we didn't have enough. We couldn't make it go around. But it's, thank God he's helped us to manage these areas well and we don't have those huge issues of disagreement and discussion anymore. So what is shrewdness? Well, firstly, it's keen awareness. It is smart, strategic, and resourceful. It is, it is to see the problem clearly, to know what needs to be done, and to figure out how to do it. So it doesn't sound all that bad, does it? Shrewdness isn't a bad thing. It's, it's smart and it's intelligent, and that's why Jesus talked and praised his shrewdness. So regarding money, God wants you to learn biblical shrewdness. I might challenge a couple of our concepts today. From this story, we learn four things to not do with our money and five truths to remember about money. And I'm going to try and run through these really quickly for you. First one is this. Don't waste money. The first thing I'm going to do in a, as I'm learning what to do with money is I'm not going to waste my money. Luke chapter 16 verse 2 says, The manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So if I walk around saying, it's my money, if I want to waste it, who cares? That's probably a wrong statement. Because in, natural, in the actual reality of it all, it's not my money, it's God's money. The money was there before you were born. The money will continue to be there after you die. God put all things into play. And he will continue it until the day he rolls it up and says, I'm done with this, I'm coming back. He has the right of ownership. You and I have the right of management, of stewardship. So it's wrong for me to go around and be wasteful of my money if it doesn't even belong to me, if I'm only the manager of my money. Does that make sense? That, it's, that, that I've been called to manage my money and all of a sudden, if I say, in a moment of weakness, I'm about to buy myself that tenth pair of shoes, I'm going to say, hang on a minute, do I actually need these? Or should I keep this money, because it's God's money, he might have a better plan for me. The moment I realise that it belongs to God is the moment that I become wise about how I spend money. The second thing is, don't love it or live for it. Don't love money or don't live for money. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's impossible to live with divided allegiance. Is that right? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And ultimately, God wants your heart. And if money has your heart, 
or your possessions and wealth as your heart, then God can't have your heart because your allegiance are toward that. Okay? So the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You cannot have two number one things in your life. It's impossible. Either God is number one or something else will be number one. And you'll be serving that something else. Have you ever tried to work for two bosses? Does it really work? <laughs> no, it's too hard. And Jesus lays this out really black and white in this parable, doesn't he? So I must choose what I'll love most in, the, in my life. I will love God, which ultimately overflows to me loving people. Is that right? When I love God, I will love people and I will use money. The choice always is always between God and money. It's easy for money to become God of your life. Because you pursue it, you chase after it. It's just what happens. So the third one, don't trust it for security. The manager learned this one pretty quick in verse 3. What am I going to do now? I'm losing my job. And sadly, many of us have uh, discovered, excuse me, what it is like to lose your job, to be out of work. And all of a sudden, you've got no source of security anymore. Wisdom is to never put your security in anything that can be taken from you. Never put your security into anything that can be taken from you. Don't put your security in your bank balance. Money can be gone like that. Don't put your security in a job. There could be a global financial crisis and you could be laid off. Uh, don't put your security into your partner, wife or husband because your security is found in God and the overflow of that will build your marriage. Does that make sense? Your security is not in the relationship. Your security is in the one who gave you the relationship. Your security is not in the financial health that you're in. Your security is in the one who gave you that in the first place. We've got to get that one right. Proverbs 23, 5 says this, Your money can be gone in a flash, as if it has grown wings and flown away like an eagle. So in other words, don't waste your money, don't trust your money, and don't lose your money. Pretty interesting, isn't it? The fourth one, don't expect money to satisfy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, Whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. It, 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 has anyone ever known someone to win the lottery? Anyone? You're probably pleased. Oh, Cookie's got one. Okay. Have they still got the money today? Okay, already wealthy. All right, no, that's fine. If he's already wealthy, he's probably got his head around how to manage wealth. Many people win the lotto and it's gone really quickly. They spend it, don't they? It's, and they're actually in a place where they can be in a worse position after winning that amount of money than they were before. You know, not, not if they've won $50 million, that might be a little bit harder to spend really quickly. But if they won a million or two, $2 million, they're putting their hope in winning this big money, winning this big money. If I win this money, I'm going to put this right in my life. If I win this money, I'm going to put that right in my life. Even I'm going to win this money, I'm going to start tithing. All that sort of stuff comes into the, the thoughts and the processes, and they're like, it's gone. It's, it's like 
a flash in the pan and it's di disappeared. Why is that? Because it's not the money, it's actually the mindset that needs to change. If they learnt to manage the money, they would, they would see that it's a tool and it wouldn't be the satisfaction that comes with money. So don't expect it to satisfy. If you think having more will make you happy, make you more secure, make you more important, or make you more valuable, then you are fiercely misguided. Because it's not going to satisfy. And the more you have, it's like anything else in the world. The more you have, the more you want in this world. Is that true? Okay. Uh, Luke 12, 15 says, Guard against all kinds of greed. Guard against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you own. This goes back to that, don't be conformed to the way the world thinks. I'll be transformed by the way God wants you to think. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let money be that controller. So they're the first four points. What not to do or what not to expect from money. The five countercultural truths about money. You're moving on in your form there, in your handout. If you remember and act on these, these will transform your life in money management. The first one is, it all belongs to God. Every day, I must remember that it all belongs to God. You don't really own anything. Is that right? God owns it all. It wasn't yours before you were born. I said this earlier. It's not yours when you die. You can't take it with you. In the story, the owner has all this property and he lets the manager take care of his property. It's the story of our lives. We've got to take care of the owner's property. This all belongs to Jesus. It's all a gift from God. Tell your neighbour that your financial wealth is all a gift from God. We only get to use it for a little while. It's all on loan. Okay? And we're all in the business of management. Look at your neighbour and say, you're a manager. Don't recoil from that because you think leadership's not on your life. God's going to hold us to an account in this in one day. If you go out after the service and you get in your car and you say, this isn't my car. Thank you, God, for the blessing that I have this car to use. So don't hang on to it, because you know when you know when you hang on to something, you don't want to let it go. Someone asks you for it. It's a bit like that, isn't it? So you thank God for it because it shows the gratitude that you have in your heart. When you become thankful for something, then you don't hold on to that, you're holding on to the person who gave it to you. Amen. So we're saying, This is not my car, thank you for my car. And you go home and you say, This is God's house. I said this in the early service. If you walk in and you say, this house belongs to God, all of a sudden you want God to inhabit your house. Don't you? But while you're thinking that this is my house and I want it to look the way it needs to look, the way I want it to be, and the way, then all of a sudden you'll start trying to control your life around the possession that you have instead of saying, God, this is your house, fill my house so that people would feel welcome in my house. So the people would come to know you in my house. Sit down at your, your, your dining table and you sit on the chair that you call yours. You know, I've got my chair in the house. Have you got your chair in the house? Sit down on your chair and you say, God, oh, it's not my chair. This is your chair. So if anyone wants to sit in my chair, I'm going to sit somewhere else. We live like that. This is your table, God. And if I give my table to the Lord, then the conversation around the table is going to be much better than if I thought I owned that table. 
All of a sudden, when I invite people into God's house and I invite people around God's table, all of a sudden, the conversation comes around the owner and not the manager. My conversations are about him. Because who owns your heart, what owns your heart is what's going to own your focus. If it's your house or your car or your bank balance, it's going to take your focus. But if it's God, he's going to permeate the entirety of your life and you're going to be talking about it. Does that make sense? I like that point. It's a really good point. So it all belongs to God. Verse 1 says the owner enlisted a manager to take care of his property. If we start looking at it this way, the result of this is that our, our worries will decrease. Who wants that to happen in their life? Who wants to let go of worries and concerns? Absolutely. <clears throat> the rest of verse 1 continues, wasting his master's possession. This is what this guy was doing. He was wasting his master's possession. Fact is, any time I waste money, I'm wasting God's money. It's that simple. Number two, the second truth to remember, every day God is using money to test me. That's a big one, isn't it? God is using money to test me. God does not trust spiritual power to just anyone. He tests our faithfulness first, and the way he does this is by the way we manage his possessions. Does that make sense? He tests our faithfulness first, and he tests us not once, but continually. God doesn't just automatically give his blessings to everybody. He tests you to see if you're responsible, to see if you can handle it. God's not going to pour a million dollars into your bank balance if it's going to ruin you. If it's going to cause you issue with him and your relationship with him, then he's not going to pour an overflow of abundance into your life if it's only going to shipwreck your faith. Anything. Anything. It's not just money. It could be a house. It could be wealth. It could be um, a job. You know, we, we often do that, don't we? We often sit back and go, God, we want a job. We want a job. The first one that comes along, oh, this one's God, the one God gave us. And all of a sudden, it takes up our Sundays. All of a sudden, it takes up our seven till seven at night. All of a sudden, it's drawn us away from our connection and relationship with God and our connection and relationship with the people that God has placed us with. And we're like, but God gave us this, this job. But no, he might not have. Maybe it was the devil that gave you that job. Maybe he orchestrated some things there for you to get it. So we've got to be wise in all of these things. We've got to put God first in all of it. So it's not just money, but obviously this talk is about money. God's favourite tool to test your finances is money. So what does this tool test? Firstly, it shows what I love most. When I first fell in love with Sarah... My beautiful wife. Probably not when I first fell in love, because she's in the, in the room now, I've got to say it accurately. When I first got a job, all my money, after I bought myself something, all my money uh, went to making her feel comfortable, making her feel special, making her feel that I loved her. So I would take her to the movies, I would take her out for dinner. I, I did buy her flowers a couple of times, probably much to my detriment now I don't buy flowers. Um, but, but I would try and make her feel special because I loved her, didn't I? We've all gone, most of us would have gone through that. that we, 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 we shower the object of our love with blessing, right? 
That's, that's just what happens. Because what ultimately, love looks like something. You spell love, G-I-V-E. Give. Right? Sarah would not know that I love her unless I didn't tell her that I love her, unless I didn't show her that I love her, unless I hadn't submitted myself to that love. Is that right? How can I say that? Well, the, my favourite verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, Pastor Teresa touched on this in Scripture, that he gave his one and one. Love looks like something. There's an action to love. Is that right? So, so when we think about it in all this sense, it shows what I love most. If I, What I'm giving my money to is what I love most. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, Don't store up treasures here on earth. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Amen? So whenever you want to your heart to be, put your money in that and you'll get interested in it. Believe me, the moment you put your money into something is the moment you become interested about it. I'll give you a test. Who cares what happens to Microsoft? The company Microsoft. I don't know. Interest in the company Microsoft. The moment I buy stocks in Microsoft, guess where my interest goes? Straight there. Why? Because my investment is in it, my money's there, and I'm trying to see what I'm going to get out of it. So I want to make sure that they're doing the right thing so that my stock value goes up. The moment you put your money into something is the moment your interest goes into it. So we're putting our money into heavenly things, not into earthly and selfish things. God deserves and insists on first place in my life. Whenever I live for my money, it becomes my master. So if I give my money, it becomes my servant. So we don't want to be mastered by our money, do we? Okay. So the point here on this same on this one is it second one is it shows what I trust. It's the acid test of your life, of your faith. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. If you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. Who wants to flourish in their life? Yeah. So don't put your trust in your money. Put your trust in God. Rick Warren, in his sermon, puts it this way. If you're feeling stuck in your spiritual walk, remember we're talking about uh, God trusting us with the small things so he can give us the bigger things. And he's talking about the spiritual things. Remember I said that when I read the scripture? If we're feeling stuck in our spiritual walk, if we're feeling stuck in an area, if we're feeling like our Christian walk goes up and down like a roller coaster and it's a huge ride and it's one extreme right down to the lowest of lows. Rick Warren says this, that, uh, I'll get it right just so I'm not making it up. If my life is stuck at dead centre, the spiritual blah blahs and I'm not growing and there's no power in my life and I'm on a spiritual roller coaster, his advice is check your checkbook or I would say check your bank balance. It reveals your priorities. How can I say that? If my bank balance is McDonald's, Red Rooster, KFC, KFC, because I like KFC, 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 
If my bank balance is, then the end of server, I'm not talking to you, but I kind of am, to go and get a drink, and to go and get a drink, and to go and get a drink. But my priorities are about me, aren't they? And about how I feel, and about making me feel good while I'm getting fat. <laughs> but if my bank balance reflects something completely different, like I might have went out for a meal, and I look at that, and I go, oh, that's the day I took a family out for dinner. And then I look at something else, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's, the, that's my giving to my, 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 my child overseas, and that's my giving to missions, and that's my, and my priorities are starting to be revealed by the way I spend my money. What am I doing? I'm becoming a better manager of my finances, and it's starting to reveal where my heart is. I'm building my expectation of my reward in a storehouse in heaven because I'm hoping that I'm using my money that's going to open up the door in ways that's going to open up doors for people to come in to spiritual glory. Does that make sense? So the priorities of my bank balance shows me the priorities of my heart. How I spend my money. If it's all on me, 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 then my priority is me. But if it's on other people, the expression of my family and those sorts of things. Obviously, my heart is to giving and loving the way God wants me to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, awesome. Um, so the third one is, it shows if God can trust me. So it's out of uh, control of my finances that uh, reveals whether I'm in control or out of control of my life. If my finances are out of control, my life's probably going to be out of control. If, I, if I'm able to manage my money well, my life's not going to be as hectic as what other people's will be. Amen? So it, it, it reveals and shows that God can trust me. Luke 16, 11, 12. Whoever, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's priority or property, who will give you property of your own? So Jesus says, how I handle money determines how much God can bless my life. There's a direct connection between maturity and money, spiritual power and possessions, blessings and bucks. And this is not a prosperity message, you can hear that, but it's a correlation with how I manage my life, how I manage that which God has given me, to how God blesses my spiritual walk and even to the point of how he blesses my spiritual ministry. So here's the third truth you've got to remember. These are all important truths that build my faith. They build up on one another. The first one was this, it all belongs to God. That was point number one. The second is, God is using money to test me. And the third one is, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. But you say, how does God want to use money? Why would God want? Isn't money the root of all evil? That's not what the Bible says, is it? He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is neither good nor bad. It's, in fact, it's an inanimate object. It can't be good. It can't be bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's only a tool. And I said before, as a tool... My faithful 10 mil spanner is in my toolbox. When I want to use my 10 mil spanner, I pull it out and I can crack that nut 
or taking out that bolt. Is that right? If I mistreat my 10 mil spanner, which can be easy to do, the mechanic in the room, the mechanics in the room that they can mistreat them all the time because they're always buying 10 mil spanners because they're losing them or whatever. But if you mistreat the 10 mil spanner, it's not going to be there and it's not going to loosen the nut that I need to loosen when I need it. It's the same with your money. If you mismanage the tool that is money, it's not going to be there when you need it. And you'll get frustrated, you'll get angry. I can't find my 10 mil spanner. It's the same thing. I can't find the 100 bucks that I put in the drawer last night. Where's it gone? I mismanaged it. Does that make sense? So it's a tool that needs to be used. It's neither right nor wrong. It's a tool. Luke 16, 9, verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, use, use your worldly wealth. Not hoard it, not stockpile it, not worship it, not love it, but make sure that it's used. Okay? Now, I'm not talking there about building for the future. I'm not talking there about management for setting yourself up or right living and things like that. Obviously, we've got to build a certain amount of wealth. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about building storehouses to hold more of your, your goods, building more and more and more so that you can continue to hoard wealth and hold back from anyone else. That's what I'm talking about, isn't it? So using your money the way it should be used. Don't love money, love people and use money. Say that again. Don't love money, love people but use money. We don't want it the other way around. We don't want to use people to get money. Is that right? We don't want that in any way, shape, or form. So use temporary resources for permanent good. What's a permanent good? A permanent good is building for the kingdom of heaven. It's not about building for our future so that we can live uh, on a... We can buy a, an island out in the Pacific somewhere. Is that right, Tim? Is that Okay. You might be able to buy yourself a caravan and tour around Australia, that's fine. But if you're using that for the kingdom of God, then go for your life. But don't go and buy an island so you can sit on there and avoid people for the rest of your life. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, use your worldly wealth, use it wisely. And uh, what did the Jesus like about the dishonest manager? He liked his shrewdness. He liked the fact that he would wipe 50% of someone else's bill so that when he was struggling, that person would remember and help him when he came into a hard time. That's what he liked about it, setting him up for the future. He was using it so that he could benefit when he wasn't at work. He did commend him on that, the 50% to 20%. Why? Why? Because the th next point there is he looked ahead. Verse 3, what am I going to do now? He looked ahead. Proverbs 14.8, the wise man looks ahead. The fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. So what facts are we refusing to face? What fact are you refer refusing to face? That's a big question. I wonder what this fact is. So let's just talk about it right here. What financial facts are you unwilling to face? Some of you are living in a house that you can't really afford. And you're stretched and you're stressed and you can't make ends meet. What you really need to do is to downsize. Some of you, uh, you need to get out of that house and buy something more manageable. Maybe you're renting a house that's, that's costing you way too much. You need to find something that's a little bit smaller and, uh, and, and a little bit better to manage that wealth. Uh, <clears throat> whether it's comfort or ego or whatever it is, you won't face the fact that you're going deeper and deeper into debt. Some of you have a car that you cannot afford. You might have rent out and bought a Lamborghini. Now, none of you guys have bought a Lamborghini. 
But uh, you might not be able to afford the repayments on that car. You thought that you were doing the right thing buying a new car, but it's just costing you way, way too much. Or maybe you need to sell that and get something a little bit less. Uh, I remember we put ourselves into, into financial difficulty a couple of times because we bought something that was a little bit beyond our means. But um, we thought it was beyond our means, but thank God we, we ended up not doing that. But now we own cars that are all 10 years or older. And you know what? They still get me from A to B. I look after them and they look after me. I manage them well. I probably need to clean them a bit more often. Right? But, but I still can get to A to B. I can still jump in any one of my cars and I know that it'll get me to Sydney or I'd, I'd be happy to drive one of the kids. But I Because I look after it. But I don't need it to be a brand new car that's costing me more than I can pay. Yeah? So, so some of us need to be aware that, you know, we've got to just make decisions sometimes and downsize change. Sometimes you've got to consolidate your loans. I had a few different loans and we had to, a couple of years ago, just say, we've got now control with our spending. And we consolidated our loans and thankfully we had a bank that was able to help us do it and now we're not in that financial difficulty. So thinking about how you manage your money is a really, really important thing so that you can relieve the stress and set yourself up for a place where you can uh, prosper in this life as well as the next. <clears throat> so, where am I up to here? I've lost my place. Don't you love that? It's gone that. Oh, I found myself. He made a plan is the next point. Verse 4, I know what I'll do. This is the, the shrewd manager. I know what I'll do. Do you have a plan? Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, for about two years, I kept a budget. Two years I kept a budget. Budgets are really, really good. They're just hard to keep spending time on them and making sure that you're managing them. But I tell you what, the budget helped me in setting myself up for a, a future decision to be able to see that we can afford something. Without that budget, I couldn't have talked to the bank about consolidating my loans. Because all the bank would say, well, you can't manage your money because they're looking at my bank account. But if I could show them the money, the budget, the way it was happening, I could show them how much I could have had at the end of the year, and if I would have stuck to that diligently, then guess what? They were happy to help me. And they can get yourself out of a, a big thing. So we've got to learn to manage our money well. So making a plan, Proverbs 16.9, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. As we make plans, we've got to trust that God's going to direct us in these things. The next one is this, he acted quickly. He ran out straight away and acted very, very quickly in putting a plan in place. It was a shrewd plan, wiping 50% and 20%, but he put it out quickly. Luke 16.4, I know what I'll do when I lose my job here. People will welcome me into their house. So this is very thing Jesus commends, taking the long view for the best use of your money. Taking the long view. Point four. We're up to point four. Now the next truth is really countercultural. <coughs> the best use is to use it getting people to heaven. The best use of your money, which is actually God's, is to invest it into someone else's kingdom blessing. The best use of your money. 16.9, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. 
Isn't that interesting? Why would Jesus be talking very practically right there? This is happening right now. Use it so that these people will welcome you into your eternal home. That's an interesting thing. Does it shock you? It's not about buying your way into heaven. It's about opening the door up so that someone else can join you. And uh, there's many, many ways that we can do this. It means that your money is to build relationships that will last forever. Forever. Use your affluence for good influence. I, let, I bought a car once. I, I bought this old car. It needed a few issues. I actually had a few issues. I did some fixing to it. And uh, I just said, God, I, I don't need this car. And my intention in buying this car was to help somebody else out. And so I said, God, I want to help someone else out. I want us to go to the right person. Sadly, that poor old car didn't... It made, I believe, to the right person, but probably didn't last for that person as long as it needed to. But I ran into that person the other day, and, and I bought the car, and I actually done my money on it, okay? I bought the car, put some money into it, sold it to him, and then probably did the unwise thing, but... I'll tell you why I did the unwise thing. I signed the rego papers over to him before he paid me the amount that he said that he paid me. But I did that knowing that I wasn't going to get the money. So did I do the unwise thing or not? I don't expect that from him. I don't want that from him. And in fact, I ran into the other day and I found out that that probably, even though he said to me, I love that car. It was the best thing that ever happened. This is his thing. I love it, but you know what? I haven't been using it because it broke down. And then I spent some money on it to get it fixed. And I knew it had some issues, but I put some... Because he knew everything about it. And I'm like, he said, but you know what? I love that car, and you really helped me out. And he was really, really like that. And he said, when I see you next, I'm going to get you the money. When I get, pay, when I get a payment, I'm going to help. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, you don't have to pay me the money. It's okay. I'm not looking for the money. I was only looking to help you. But it reminded me of something. I could get myself all in a tight knot because of the five hundred dollars this guy might have owed me, or I can just thank God and I can pray for him. And you know what? He gave me a hug and he said thank you. And he said to me, you know, since you since you did that for me, I've been considering God a little bit more, and uh, and, and you know, I've been considering what my purpose in life. He doesn't even live in Griffin. And he said da 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 da. And I'm like, I, I want to tell you something. If you're considering God, then what you need is you need to consider Jesus because His name is Jesus. And you need to call upon his name. He goes, oh, brother, thank you so much. And he gave me a big hug. And, and then he, two other ladies come and he goes, hey, do you know my friend? He's Steve. And, and then she's dropped a little swear bomb. And, and he said, no, no, don't do that. He's a Christian. And, <laughs> and then he, what he wanted to say was he's a pastor of a church. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And anyway, I'm looking at this conversation at the front door of Audi over the $500 bill that was owed to me. Do I want that $500? No, absolutely not. But it's opened a door for him, and I'm praying that, because I think he will beat me to heaven. I'm praying that he will meet me there. Amen. Because I sowed a seed. Might not be my job to harvest that seed, but I, I prayed for him as I got in the car, Lord, water the seed. Use your money to affect someone else's destiny. Does that make sense? Now, if I had more money, I probably would have bought him a car that had no issues. But that's another story. Maybe one time in the future that will happen in my life. Who knows? But if I manage it right now, then I'm going to be able to be in a position later on to manage that. Does that make sense? So use your money in the best use to get people into heaven. 
Use your money to build relationships that will last forever. Number one, it will help you make friends for eternity. And number two, it will gain rewards for you in eternity. Who wants rewards in eternity? I do. Absolutely. It's, it's in the scriptures there. It says, welcome you into heaven. Imagine where... Um, Imagine when you walk into heaven and you hear, we are here because of you. Some of you are sponsoring children overseas. They will greet you in heaven, we are here because of you. Some of you are partnering with missions and the work that even we're doing here at Life Source Church. Some of those people are going to say, because you gave 50 bucks, I'm in the kingdom of heaven. And you'll have no idea who these people are. You might partner with the church to build something for the future, a new church building or something like that. You might get on board with the vision of God and plant and sow into that, faithfully saying, one day, one day there is going to be full, this, this house. And 20 years down the track, someone walks in there and they go, to the glory of God, God is in this place and it's going to be credited to your account. It blows your mind when you start to think about the rewards you'll have in heaven. And for me, it'll be, how many? How many, Lord? How many are going to greet me? How many are going to greet my family? Because we're here because of you. And more potential comes when, when we're free from control in, in this area of our life and we're free to let God use this area. Amen? So we can invest in people to go there. We could go out tomorrow, buy a Christian film, They'll knock on our brother's door and say, hey, I've had you in my heart. I want to watch this film with you. And it can bring up conversations and can lead your brother to Jesus. It costs you 30 bucks to buy a film. You could go and uh, someone says, I really need to spend time with you. You can go and you can take them out for breakfast and you can spend a bit of time with them and you can pray with them over an issue in their life and they could come to know the Lord Jesus. You can use your money in all sorts of ways to see someone change their eternal destiny. And I think that's really important. Number five. Number five. One day I'll give an account to God. That's not to scare you. I think hopefully that's to put you in a position where you can see I'm looking forward to this day. I'm looking forward to the day where I'm going to give an account to God. Verse 2 of Luke 16. You must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you. Your time as a manager is ending. Our time is finite, isn't it? It's coming to an end. We've got opportunities to change the destiny of so many people, including our own, if we would just let go of the worry, let go of the control, and trust that God is faithfully using us to manage our wealth and manage it well. Amen? Number six. I'll read verse, uh, Romans 14 12 for you. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. God has entrusted assets to you during your time here and he's watching you to see your faithfulness. You're not going to be here forever and one day your management career is going to be over. Okay? Verse uh, number six. If I'm faithful with little, God can trust me with more. Number six reason that's countercultural to our day is if I'm faithful with little, God can trust me with more. Luke 16, 10. When it, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little can also be dishonest with much. 
The principle applies to every area of my life. If I'm faithful with my talent, well, the singers and the, and the musicians, you're faithful with your talent, you practice and you play and all that sort of stuff, your talent grows. Is that right? It happens in every area of our life. God will increase it. It's about influence, responsibility, all of these areas. My influence will increase if I trust God with it. My responsibilities will increase if I trust God with it. Teenagers, your responsibility will increase as your trust levels with God grows. And it's the same with money. Your management of money will increase as you trust God in this area. Amen? We're finishing up. There's a lot of stuff in this one, isn't there? Matthew 25, 29. When you manage something wisely, it will increase. Jesus says, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. If we manage well what we've been given, they will have abundance. More will be given. Fullness, a faithfulness in little ways produces fruitfulness in big ways. Amen? I've seen this happen in every area of my life in the last 20 years of my marriage. Sometimes, sometimes I feel a really big pull to stretch in this area. It's not like all the time. Sometimes, sometimes you just know God's talking to you about getting something right. Like I said, two years ago, we started doing the budget. Three years ago. Two years ago, we got our, well, three years ago, we got our finances in control as far as our debts and our loans. Those sorts of things, they were pulls of the Holy Spirit. We needed to get that right. Started to do that, and the transition came that I came into leadership in the church. Interesting, isn't it? We started to do that in our own personal life. We started to manage the books a little bit differently for the church. We weren't doing anything wrong. We just started to position ourselves with not just faithfulness, but with faith. And we paid off a building that we've been paying off in 13 years. We paid it off. $158,000. Who talked to you guys about this? It's not because I'm good, it's because God is faithful. Is that right? So we put the little things in play, and now God's talking to me about some bigger stretches. Big stretches. I didn't tell the early service this, I'm telling you guys this. So we've got five more, ten more minutes with you guys. So God's talking to me about big dreams, bigger things. And, and I'm thinking, God, how do we get there? There's no way I can get there in myself. And he's talking to me about if we all start managing it a little bit better, there's no reason that we couldn't get there. Is that right? So what we did as Transform Team is we, we talked about it and I threw an idea out and we're going to give you the opportunity. And I, I don't know if the ushers have already given you them or if they're going to give them out now. Or if, I, if they haven't, you've already got them. They're great. The ushers are awesome. One of the things that uh, Ian Miller and a couple of others have challenged me, and even Pastor Bill Vasilakis have challenged me, is if, if our church, if our church don't see the purposes and they don't see the vision and they can't see how God's going to use us in our terms as the head, not the tail, because that's the way we believe, then we'll never start putting away for the future plans. 
So Ian Miller started about 10 or 15 years ago, started challenging the church about giving to nothing. Ultimately, they were giving to a building fund. They didn't have the building fund at the time, but they were giving to a building fund. They just spent a little over a million dollars on renovating their building. And they were $67,000 short of cash in Sydney, in Hornsby. $67,000 short in cash to do the renovation because they faithfully put these purposes in play for a short, for a long period of time. They were able to earn, raise, like they paid the building outright and then also raised the over a million dollars to renovate over a 10 year period. And then the last thing that he did before they moved on, because they just moved to America, those who met Ian and Christine recently, the last thing he did with the church was he said, God has convinced me that I'm going to hand over to the new leader, Josh, a debt-free church. $67,000 short of the building renovation. And in two weeks' time, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to raise that $67,000. And they did. They did. Completely handed the building over two weeks. Uh, within a two-week time frame, completely handed over. Why? Because their money management was in place and it was right and the church were on board with the vision and they were able to no longer have to hire the big cinema in Hornsby they can move and they can have their own home where they can have over three or four hundred people in the service and they can enjoy the things of God and celebrate that so I'm thinking okay God this is the next big stretch for us this is the next big thing so we've got to build this habit in our life and the first one comes with we started the renovations outside we've seen the new slab out the back have a go and have a bit of a look today. That slab and that, that awning that's going out there, that's completely paid for. That's about $18,000. It's completely paid for. The family in the church um, and also Barnabas House gave some money towards us because they were a little bit flush in that area and they wanted to donate. And they paid for that. Another $5,000 check came in out of the blue to help pay for the cafe blinds that are going to go on there. And it's like, I haven't even really asked for anything, have I? I said it once, hey, we want to pay for this, and all of a sudden, bang, the vision was we're going to move all out there, and $23,000 came in. I'm like, praise God for that. So, as a church, we're going to give you guys the opportunity because the next step is we're going to renovate this place inside. We're going to repaint, we're going to put some walls up, and we're going to change the stage around, and all that sort of stuff. But you know what? That's not paid for. That's a statement of faith. I bought the paint the other day in faith for the ceilings because I want to paint them white, the, the, the bits that are green. I bought it in faith. I know, God, we're going to do this and we're going to do it well. So we put this together just to share with you today. Because remember I said where you put your money is where your heart is. And uh, so what I'm asking is, and I've got a little bit more time to talk to you guys about this than I did the earlier service. What I'm asking is that this week as you go through your transformed studies, as you do your devotions, it's going to be about financial health, isn't it? So there's going to be some questions that are going to come up even in your own life that you're going to talk with God through. One of the things I would ask is that, we, that you would keep this before you and praying to God about it over the next couple of weeks. And I would say that between you and your spouse, if you're married, or you and God alone, um, between you, your spouse, and God, or you as an individual and God, I, I want you to come to an agreement and just say, God, what is it that you want me to challenge in this area of my life? And over the next three months, I want to make a commitment to just say, I'm going to give over the tithe, 
I'm going to give this much money toward the renovations of the church. Now, you notice on there, there's no name, no place for your name. I, I'm not asking you to tell me how much you're giving this. It's not my responsibility to chase you up. That's a commitment you're going to make between you and God. That's what I'm asking you. Talk to God. For some of you, it might be $10 a month. And that's great. It's like the widow's mite, isn't it? And give all that you can afford at the moment. That would be awesome. For others of you, it might be even more. You might be able to give $1,000 a month or something. Who knows what that is? But Sarah and I will definitely do this this week. We'll sit down and we'll, we'll discuss it and say, you know what? Over and above, we'll be able to give and we're going to see this place transformed. To make it what? To make it more like home. To make it more like people when they walk in. The atmosphere is, is like electrified because not only is God's people here, not only is it warm and inviting as well, but God's hearing from this. And we're going to commit to this and we're going to say, yes, let's do it. So I want you to pray to God and say, God, I want to do this. It's something that's in the stirring of my heart. Obviously, if you don't want to, please understand that I'm not telling you you have to. But if you do, talk to God about it. It's between you and God. And then in two weeks' time, we're having a celebration service. Celebrating what God has done in the transformation. We're looking for your we're looking for your testimonies, aren't we? You all know that. We've been coming now for a few weeks. We're looking for testimonies of how God's speaking to you in this series. So talk to Micah and, um, and Amy and, and that about getting your testimonies ready for that day. But on that day, we're going to combine the two services. I think it's good to sometimes come back together as one, one fellowship, right? And it's going to be, you have to remember this, in two weeks' time, 9.30 service. Meet in the middle. Not an 8.30 service, not a 10.30. We're going to meet in the middle, 9.30. One service. We're going to come and we're going to hear all the testimonies of what's been going on. Sadly, we're going to miss this because I'm going to be in Melbourne. But um, Mike is going to run a fantastic day for the team, the Transform team. They've done an amazing job. They're going to run a celebration and they're even going to cook us a barbecue. We're going to celebrate what God's done. There'll be a bit of information go about that next week because there might be a little bit of bring and share, but the meat and the barbecue and everything will be provided and a bit of a celebration. We're going to see more people in this church than we've seen in a service before because I know there are new people in your groups that haven't made it to church yet. Invite them on that day. Let's fill this place up and hear what the good things God has done. And in that day, we're going to take up, we're going to collect up your, your pledge cards and I would ask that you would give a splash offering on the day. That could be your first month's uh, commitment or it could be even over and above that. Say, so no, we just want to get the building kicking off and going. And you might give with with this and just say, we just throw a splash offering out there. And uh, and then we know there's a financial decision that we can do for the, the, the renovations. And we can count the cost without starting and, and stumbling in the middle of putting renovations together. Does that make sense? So it's, it's just, again, it's that financial management, making sure that we can talk honestly and openly about the things God is talking to us about. So that's in two weeks' time. Um, so can you consider that? Consider what's going on. Take the time this week to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you around your financial health. Lastly, let's finish the service this way. I'm going to invite the band if you would like to come back. Some questions here. And maybe, maybe you need to respond to some of these questions. Maybe, maybe your action of response today might be just to stand in your seats and say, yes, I'm, I'm praying and I'm believing. This is how God wants me to be.
So as, as I ask these questions, do a self-evaluation. So I can I ask you to close your eyes? I ask you to close your eyes. And if one of these things sticks out to you, and it's something that you want to bring transformation in your life, then just stand in your seat. And we'll pray with you, and you'll pray, and we'll pray together. So the first thing is, does God really have first place in my life? If that's something that stood out today, then maybe you need to stand up and just show that commitment that, yes, God does have first place in my life. Secondly, is there something else in first place in my life? Maybe you want to just stand and just say, remember, everyone's eyes are closed and no one's judging you on this. Maybe there's just something that you just want to give it over to God now and you just need to stand up and say, God, I'm making a commitment in this area. I just want to let that go. I want to trust in you. What about this one? Can God trust me with what he's allowed me to have? Can God trust me in what he's allowed me to have? If you want God to be able to trust you, maybe you need to stand at that. Am I managing my money well? Maybe, maybe you need to put a budget in place. Maybe you need to look at your bank account and see where your money's going. Maybe you just need to do one of those practical things. Maybe you just need help in that. If you stand, then, uh, then God, he will see that and he will move towards you in faith. Am I managing my opportunities well? Am I managing the opportunities that I have to share the gospel? To reach out and to see someone else's destiny change? Am I managing my life well? It's a big question, isn't it? Am I putting God first? Am I, am I making sure that I get rest and I'm not running too hard and, and burning myself out? Am I managing my life well? Am I managing my health well? Maybe some of us have had difficulties in our health. Am I managing my health well? Am I, do I need to change my diet? Do I need help in this area? But I'm going to stand up and I'm going to reach out to God and allow Him to grace me to overcome this area of struggle. Does the way that I'm using my money show God that I can be trusted with more? Does the way that I use my money show God that I can be trusted with more? And the last one is, how much am I investing for eternity? Will anybody, will anybody be in heaven because of the way I'm using my money? Will anybody be in heaven because of the way I'm using my money? See, that should be the motivator of our life. That the love of God, which has changed me so much and is compelling me to conform by the renewing of the mind, that that very love should be compelling me to give out an abundance from the heart of the gospel of grace. Do I want to respond to that and stand today before God? Let us pray together. Let me pray over you, and if you say yes to this, just in your heart, just thank God. Dear God, I don't want to waste my money. Can we just get to the keyboards for now? Dear God, I, I don't want to waste your money. I don't want to love it above you. I don't want to live for money. I don't want to trust in it for my security. And I don't want to expect it to satisfy and meet needs that only you can meet. God, from this day forward, help me to remember every day 
that it all belongs to you, that I don't really own anything and it's all just on loan from God and you're going to loan it to somebody else after I die. God, I want what I do with my money to show that I love you the most. And I want what I do with my money to show that I trust you for security, not my bank account. And God, I want you to look at the way I'm using my life and my money and know that you can trust me with greater responsibility. Lord, help me to remember that money is just a tool. While many people use it for bad, I want to use it for good and I want to use it for God. Help me to do this and help me to manage rightly. Help me to look ahead. Help me to make a plan. Help me to act quickly and not procrastinate. You said from your own words that the best use of money is to help get people into heaven. That's storing up treasure in heaven. I want to use some of my money to do exactly that. I know that one day I'll have to give an account to you for how I used my life and what I did with what you gave me. You said that where your treasure is, so is your heart. So God, I want you to have my heart today. Jesus Christ, I, I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how I ask you to come into my life right now, Come into my life and transform me. Transform the way I think. Lord Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I don't want a religion. I want you. I want to learn to know you and I love you and serve you. And I want to feel the love of you. Lord Jesus, I pray this in your mighty name. Come, restore my heart, renew my mind. Regenerate the very things of my life that I can be a vessel of you. In your mighty name.